Good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. And uh, man, that was good. If Nate would move a little bit in that song, I think we would really get into it a little bit. Maybe do his do his foot down, not be so monotone when you sing it. I think I think that'd be that'd be really good. But good worship <clears throat> this morning. If you don't know me, that's called sarcasm. So it it drips from time to time from the stage. So <clears throat> you don't think I'm criticizing. I'm not. Really giving a compliment in a roundabout way. So nonetheless, there you go. Um, <clears throat> uh, this week, I had a birthday on, on Wednesday. And, I, and people have asked me how old I am. And I am 94 with a dyslexia problem. Mm. Okay, yeah. I just thought of that while we were singing. I just thought it was a good, good way to do it. There you go. But <clears throat> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of in a state of, I've eaten a lot of cake, a, a five-flavor pound cake with six-flavor icing over the period between like Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, Friday, finished it up Saturday, right? So I didn't have any for breakfast this morning. So I think my body is doing a little kind of, where's the sugar? You know what I mean? Because I've, I've had it for so long, you know, and I've had it, <clears throat> but nonetheless, I feel kind of weird today and just want to let you know that just right up front, just in case something happens, okay? In case something happens where I don't say something right or something, I think that might be the issue is I'm like, where is the cake? The cake, you know, because I normally don't eat that. Actually, I gained five pounds in three days, which I think is an accomplishment, <laughs> right? And I think really pound cake is a is a pound a slice, maybe, that's how it goes, but I know that doesn't work out, work out mathematically, but nonetheless, there you go, and there's enough of that. <clears throat> so let's get to the message. Um, there's some signs that are often posted, and you may have seen some of these on the internet or posted to Facebook or whatever you look at, um, and every time I see a sign like this, I wonder why they had to post the sign. So then I start visualizing what possibly could have happened that would have then caused them to post a sign, okay, this, these signs. So here's the first one. <clears throat> Please be safe. Don't stand, sit, climb, or lean on fences. If you fall, animals could eat you, and that might make them sick. Thank you, right? So this is at a, um, <clears throat> obviously, at a zoo. And so somebody has allowed their children or maybe adults have climbed on the fences and sat on them for some reason. It boggles my mind that you would do that because I don't know if you know this or not, but animals aren't like they are when you watch them on Disney movies. They're a little bit different, a little more violent than that. So anyway, they posted that sign. Here's another one. Unintended children will be given an espresso and a free puppy. So this was at a coffee shop. This is a real, a real deal. Uh, this is, well, I guess the other one is too, but this is in our, in our area. So obviously children were being left there after school or whatever, and they, you know, we're going to give them espresso and a free puppy. So when you pick them up, yeah, that's hilarious. Here's an interesting one. <clears throat> Please make sure elevator is there before stepping in. So there were people maybe talking and they were just having a conversation and their eyes were on, you know, each other and they just stepped and fell, maybe? Why wouldn't you look before you, you stepped in? And to be honest with you, if the elevator wasn't there, I'd take the stairs because why isn't the elevator you see, you think about this, but, you know, oh, well, you know, such and such, it's such and such, and ah! That's what happens when you gossip, I guess. Step into the elevator and God judges you immediately. But I think that's, I think that's, that's funny. Not to hurt people, but, but I think that's funny. Here's the next one. <clears throat> no trespassing. We're tired of hiding the bodies. 
Yeah, we're tired of hiding the body. It's very good. So with that in mind, I want you to turn your Bibles to Leviticus. So just like those signs, they were put up there for a reason. Something happened that caused those signs to be posted. Leviticus is written for the same reason. God has a reason why he told people to write these things. So every single one of these instructions that he has, there's a reason behind it. And there's something going on. We often think in terms sometimes that, you know, Leviticus doesn't apply to us now. Leviticus isn't a part of our life now. It's Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. But I would submit to you today that God not only wrote this information for people in the past, but he also wrote it for you and I today. So there's something about what we are talking about that applies to us today. And Leviticus is an example of a book, as you know, that I just am astonished at how much is in it that instructs us for today. So Leviticus chapter five, verse one says this, if anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, a public call to testify, and though he is a witness, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Let me read that again. If anyone sins in that he hears a public call to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. So you wonder, what does this exactly mean? It sounds like that there's a judgment happening and there's a call out for witnesses, right? And, and it sounds like that this person decided not to speak the truth that's in their heart so that this person could have justice. And if you started there, you're exactly right. That, that's exactly what this verse is talking about. But it's talking about a little bit more than just that, all right? So maybe verse 2 will unpack that a little bit. So let's read it. <clears throat> this is what it says. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things, it has hidden from him and he's become unclean and he realizes his gift. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. We were just talking about telling the truth, right? And, and we would really like some unpacking of this to try to figure this out. And all of a sudden we have a verse on carcasses. Don't touch a carcass or you'll be unclean. I don't know if you know this or not, but I don't have a problem with touching dead stuff. There was a rabbit that died in my yard a while back. I got a shovel and picked it up and threw it into our gully that's right beside our house. I did not pick it up and say, oh, poor little buddy, and rub it. Because I don't know if you know this or not, that's just not the thing you're supposed to do. They're nasty. Have you ever been around a dead animal? Nasty. Smells horrible. Why would you pick that thing up? So all we've gone from, you're not speaking the truth in a testimony thing, and now we're, ugh, this is, this is unbelievable. Now, if you're hunting, this doesn't count. You shoot the thing, you touch it, you got it, you take it home. That's not what it's talking about. It's start, talking about roadkill. If you go down the road, Farmington Road, <clears throat> when the time changes, there's all kinds of roadkill. Don't pick it up, take it to your house and eat it, okay? That's kind of what it's trying to say, maybe. It's not that fresh. Well, maybe verse 3 will help us out. <clears throat> so verse 3 says, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean. So I'm not going to unpack that. Because you know what that is, right? Like I get a kick out of my doctor. I go to my doctor. My doctor says, what did your look like? Like that I would, you know, and I'm like, I don't look at that. Who looks at that? I get in, flush, and get out. That's what I do. I don't know if there's, I don't know, what am I looking for? Am I supposed to analyze? Like, is there stuff that I, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with it? And, you know, how do you, and do you do it before you put the toilet? It's just, uh, no, no, ugh. That is nasty. I want to get in and get out. Uncleanness. One becomes unclean and it's hidden from him. And it realizes blah, blah, blah. Yeah, unclean. Ugh. And then verse 4, it says, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath. Oh, we're back to speaking. This is awesome. 
<clears throat> Great, so we're going to unpack. So um, with his lips, a rash oath to do evil or do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear and is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord his compensation for the sin that he has committed. So there's not really an unpacking of this whole, like, <clears throat> you know, what, what is the truth? I mean, wh when do we do this? Can you give us a little bit more information until you start studying a little bit, okay? So the first thing I think we need to cover is that um, the Israelites were living in a camp on a very small plot of land, and they were very close together, okay? Very close together. Side-by-side -side tents. They didn't make tent high-rises in those days. There was no way you could do that. So the tents were side-by-side, -side, and they lived in communities. Their communities were tribes. So here's a tribe, here's a tribe, here's a tribe, here's a tribe. And they surrounded the tabernacle. So they're living very close together. <clears throat> Second, they came from slavery where they didn't own anything, nothing, nothing at all. Two, I now own property. In fact, they were given property from the Egyptians as they left the country. Gold, earrings, livestock, just a lot of stuff they were given. So now <clears throat> these slaves that didn't own anything now own something, and all of a sudden, for the first time in their life, they had a free market economy. And so within those groups, there were people that made pots. There were people that made different things over here. There were people that sold goats and sheep and birds and, and just whatever was needed in, in the community, people sold. It was an open market deal. And so there were deals being made. Hey, I'll give you a goat if you allow me to have 12 pieces of this pottery that you just made. Or I will give you some pottery if you'll give me that table so that I can have it inside my, my house. Or um, if you can come and repair my tent because it's leaking. I know it's the wilderness, but sometimes it rains. It's leaking. In fact, in the morning, sometimes there's manna inside the house and we're getting really sick of that. Yeah. So, so we need to fix this thing. So if you fix that, this is what I'll do for you. I'll come out and I'll file the nails on your, your goat. I don't know what they would do, but it was a barter system. And so they would shake hands. And when they would do it, there would be a person right here witnessing that transaction. So this person would make a deal with this person and they would exchange words and this person would be the witness to that deal. So the judicial system was set up to where Moses was the head guy and then up underneath him was a group of people that he had selected and all the stuff that happened in that community came before these judges. And so if a, a deal went wrong right here, they would take it before these judges and if the witness decided not to speak, justice would not be served in that particular situation. So in not speaking there would be injustice that would happen. Are you tracking? So it was a legal system. Beyond this established big national system, there was also a system of the father of the house was a judge. And so if anything happened in his family, with his sons, with his son's wives, with, with another family, the two heads of those two homes would get together and they would actually decide between the people in their family before they would go to the next level of, you know, of the judges here before they would go to the next level of Moses, who is the supreme judge, just one of them. <clears throat> so, so that's what would happen. So down on this level, if <clears throat> there was a group of people over here that had an altercation and they came before these judges and the witness didn't say their side of the story, then injustice would be delivered because it was important that if you knew something that was true, that you said it in those moments so that justice could, could occur. Can you imagine a national court system that doesn't really serve justice but only serves the most powerful people in that system only? Can you imagine that? 
And can you imagine a cultural group of people, like locally, that also can't seem to get along because there's altercations between them because instead of facts being considered, falsehoods are being considered. Can you imagine relationships that are broken apart because somebody didn't speak the truth that they knew at the moment that they should have spoken it? And what that created was a bad environment. Can you imagine that? So in scripture, we have this, if you know something and there is a situation where people are going head to head and you know something that would help that situation, you need to speak up if you have the truth. So why is speaking the truth here and then making sure you don't do rash oaths, which is speaking here, sandwiched in between two things that are weird, like don't touch carcasses and and don't touch human stuff? Why is it sandwiched in between there? Well, I touched on it a little bit when I talked about the rabbit, but a dead carcass smells really bad and creates kind of not a so nice environment, right? Has anybody not been around a dead animal before? Like, y'all need to buy a hamster or something or fish. When my fish die, it it stinks up the whole house. I mean, it smells fishy. You know what? It's just nasty. We walk in the house sometimes, and it's like, Quinn goes, Dad, a fish died. And we look for it, and then I take it out, and, and we're good in a couple hours. It just stinks. It creates an environment, like an environment like you wouldn't want to eat dinner. Do you know what I mean? It's not a peaceful environment there, right? And so these carcasses, yeah, it makes you unclean, but it's, it's a, like an environment type deal. If you get to the human stuff, like if you've ever walked into the bathroom after somebody has just exited, sometimes the environment is not, right? And it makes you go, like this, and, and I know I know some of you are sitting here saying, why, why are we talking about this? This is really making me feel uncomfortable, maybe. Or I really, you know, it's just, ooh, uh, uh. Why do we have to talk about this? Well, it's in Leviticus. That's why we have to talk about it. And sandwiched between things that people say is an environment that is not something that you would want to be a part of. You would not want to be close to. You would not want to be around that. I mean, I know if you touch a dead carcass, you could get a disease. It's a possibility. If you play with stuff, you could get a disease, right? I mean, you could get sick, but it's beyond that. It's like you've created an environment that you don't want to be around. And so if we bump that back up to the first verse, when you do not speak the truth, you have created a toxic environment that you don't want to be around, If two people are talking about things and you have the truth and you do not speak the truth and you allow this falsehood to continue, what you have done is they go back out into their environments believing that it's true because you didn't speak up. And they create other stinky environments that are toxic. Are you tracking? And so your unwillingness to speak the truth is a sin because you're not redeeming the world. You're promoting the destruction that the evil one wants to bring on it. See, I think it's very interesting that we oftentimes like criticize the judicial system for not being judicial with justice. And and we criticize all of that, but in our own personal lives, we do not take seriously The judicial system, I'm having trouble talking today. The judicial system, I need more cake. The judicial system that is around us today, right? Like in my house or with your relationships. And sometimes the reason that we don't speak truth is because we feel very uncomfortable and we think that maybe we're gonna lose those people as friends if we speak the truth to them. But the fact of the matter is what we do is we correct a wrong that's being talked about and we create a better peaceful environment out here that wouldn't happen if we remain silent. And God is about redeeming relationships. The whole temple thing is redeeming a relationship between him and us and between us 
and others. So there are times where you just have to say something. You just have to say something. You say something. To not say something is a sin. Now, let's go to a biblical illustration of this. Turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. And we're going to begin reading with verse 1 of this passage. And this is what it says. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. So here's a situation where there's a meeting of Saul and all his people, and Jonathan's there, and Saul is saying, we're going to kill David. And it doesn't set well with Jonathan. So this is what he does. First, and Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you, therefore be on your guard in the morning, stay in a certain place, and hide yourself. So I first want you to notice that Jonathan didn't immediately tell his dad that he was wrong. He waited. But while he was hearing the king, his father, talk about David, knowing that what he was saying was not true, he remained silent, and in his silence, he came up with a plan to handle the situation appropriately. So he leaves that moment because it wasn't the right time. He leaves that moment, and he goes over here, and he tells David, you need, you need to go hide yourself. I've got a plan, and this is what we're going to do. And so David obliged, and he hid himself and went with Jonathan's plan. Notice verse 3, and I will go over and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you, and if I learn anything, I will tell you. Great. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? That's pretty amazing. It's pretty gutsy for Jonathan to talk to his father this way. His father was a little bit crazy, just a little bit crazy, and he didn't know what his father would do. And in fact, later on, we see that Jonathan spoke up for David again, and Saul tried to take his life, so it didn't turn out too well at that point. But at this point in the story, he, he definitely did what was right. He, he took David out, he hit him, and then he spoke to him. And he spoke to him, not in the group. He pulled him aside and had a one-on-one -on -one private conversation with him in a field, though David was listening. You tracking? So he says, look, here are the facts, Dad. Here are the facts. David killed Goliath. And David has faithfully led your army and has never never come up against you. He's never said a bad word against you. He is trustworthy, David is. And this is wrong for you to want to kill him. It's wrong for you to want to kill him. So he, he approached his dad with the truth. The very next verse says, and Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Jonathan's tenacity to speak the truth brought healing to that situation, at least for a moment. At least for a few years, he spoke the truth. Eventually, Saul's just not going to hear anything of it, but that's Saul's fault, not Jonathan's. You see, these conversations can turn out two ways. When you speak the truth, they can go south, right? But most of the time, you can prevent bad things from happening and other toxic environments from happening if you just speak up. 
And Jonathan spoke up and he was very courageous when he did it. Sometimes we don't speak up because we are afraid that that person will no longer share with us if we contradict what they're saying. Well, when we give in to that, we need to realize that we are actually sinning because we are allowing that particular falsehood to gain life and create other problems elsewhere that we could have prevented if we had approached it with truth. Are you tracking? So we speak truth. We speak up. We tell people, look, that's not right. I know that person. That's not right. Let's, let's talk about this. Here are the facts. And when I say the facts, I mean the facts. I don't mean it, your assumption of what happened. Like we all have assumptions. Yeah, we all have assumptions, all of us. An assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. The problem with assumptions is we take an assumption and make it fact. And that is when we mess up. See, truth is not our assumptions becoming fact. It's not based on that. It's, it's us taking the time to make sure that what we're about to say is true and we're not allowing our emotions to create an environment that isn't there. Right? That is what we are supposed to do. So let me show you this verse out of Proverbs. It says, a word in season, how good it is. A word in season, how good it is. How good is a word in season? It's very, it's very good. It's very good. And here's why. Here's some principles behind this. When we speak what is accurate and not what we feel, it brings good to a situation. It does. We just have to have the guts to do it. We bring good to a situation. So you make sure that what you're saying is true. Make sure it's not hearsay. And make sure it's important. See, there's some things, like I'm in a, I'm in a conversation and I hear two people talking, and, and, and I know, like, at the moment, I think I know truth. And then I'm like, well, I better make sure that I confirm this truth before I speak up and become an idiot. I can do that pretty much on my own, generally through life. But at this moment, to make sure that I'm, what I'm saying is true and help the situation, I need to confirm it. So I step back and I make sure that what I want to say to them is true. Now, I don't know a percentage but there's a lot of times that what I thought was true here when I went to confirm it winds up not being true. And so I'm really thankful I didn't say anything, right? But there's also times that I go over here and I make sure that what I'm saying is true and I go back to the person and I'm glad I went back because that's something that they did not know. And it helps the situation. If I confirm a truth and do not go back and share that truth with the people that were having the conversation, I have sinned. I have. Now, they can take the information and do whatever they want to with it. I want you to notice that it says a good word. That means that our words should be gracious. That's also Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Our, our, um, our words should be seasoned with love. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I mean, there's some love and some graciousness that our wor words need to have. I've often just observed, and I think this is true of people because I know sometimes it's true of me, that when they approach somebody, it's really more about them gaining advantage than it is them solving a problem. And if you're approaching somebody with the truth just to gain advantage, uh, that's not the way to do it. You approach people with grace and love to take care of a situation, to take care of a toxic environment. That's why you do it. So you, you make sure that what you are saying is true. It says a word in season. John Maxwell will say that the right thing said at the wrong time is wrong. That's true. But the right thing said at the right time is right. 
From 1 Samuel chapter 19, we see that Jonathan waited for the right moment to say the right thing, and it turned out right. That's what he did. And sometimes we step back from the situation, maybe this isn't the moment, but we're thinking, okay, when is the moment that I can have that conversation with them where it will have the most benefit? So we step away from it, and then we come back to it with the intent of creating a better environment than the toxic environment that is being created if we didn't, that would be creative, created if we didn't. So next verse says this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak what? Truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I don't know if you've ever had dinner with people before and um, stories are being told. You, you ever have that? And, and sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you're like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if that's true. You ever do that? Oh, are you sitting beside the person? Is that why you're not shaking your head? <laughs> you don't want them to know that you know? But sometimes the story is so like flamboyant, you're like, eh, I don't know if that's true or not. You know, I think there's a little uh, license going on here with that story. I, eh, I'm just not sure about that. Well, okay, and so it is talking about that. You need to always be truthful when you're telling a story. But I also feel like that some stories are worth embellishing from time to time just to, you know, whatever. Uh, but now you're not going to trust the stories I tell you. So let each of you speak truth with his neighbor means that if you're sitting there and somebody is talking about somebody else and it's just negative, 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 maybe that's the point in time where you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This just isn't true. I know that person. And, and this is what I know about them. Another reason that we don't want to do that is because we fear that these people will talk about us over here, Right? That they'll go, and when we're not around, they'll talk about us. Well, let me tell you something. Those people that are downing someone in front of you are downing you somewhere else. You can take that to the bank. The second thing, if you're afraid of them reacting to you wrongly because you've shared truth with them and you might not, they might not be your friends later, they weren't your friends in the first place. You should be able to share truth and trust that your friendship will hold through that particular situation, and on the other side, you'll still be friends, even though you had to share the truth with grace and love. If they're no longer your friends, man, they, I mean, I love everybody, but there's some people that just need to hit their, I'm not going to mess with them anymore. I love them, be their friend in a distance, but not close up. My closest friends are people where we can share truth back and forth because our concern is not about advantage. Our concern is that we are trying to help each other be better people. So we're so loving and concerning about that that we talk to people about truth. We're also so, we love them so much that if they're saying something that we know is going to create a toxic environment for other people, that it is our duty to step up and say, hey, let's not, let's not be toxic here. Let's not create some negative environments that that don't need to be created, let's end it right here so it doesn't go there. So if you're wondering why it's a sin, it's a sin because you're creating an environment that doesn't shine redemption. That's what you're creating. I have a, um, I, I have a second favorite comic. It's Calvin and Hobbes. My first is Peanuts. Most of you know that. But my second favorite is Calvin and Hobbes, probably because I identify with Calvin. That's probably the only reason why I identify with Calvin. Spaceman Spiff. I don't know if you know anything about him, but he's pretty funny. Okay? If you haven't read any Calvin and Hobbes, uh, shame on your parents and get a book and read some Calvin and Hobbes. They're really funny. But nonetheless, Calvin and Hobbes and Bill Watterson, and I usually get his last name wrong, so if I did, just, just uh, forgive me. I've been reading about Bill, and Bill has this, this quote that he has I'm gonna, that I read in this book, and, and this is what he says. It's not denial. It's just that I'm very selective with the reality I live in. Wow. 
It's not denial. It's just that I'm very selective in the reality that I live in. So here's what that means. There are a bunch of alternate false realities that spin around us at any given moment across a spectrum of of subjects that is mind-blowing. And then there's a true reality of how things really, really are in the world. Really are. And what we have to be careful of is that if we are not selective with the reality we live in, we will be led into a false reality just like that. Just like that. Because all these voices are trying to get you to adopt their reality rather than you actually being selective in what you choose to believe and not to believe. When you choose to believe something, it needs to be grounded, and first of all, the word of God, and second of all, with the way things actually are. Now, when I give this illustration, I am not criticizing anybody that's not here today, and I'm not criticizing anybody that's on, that's watching. I'm just making an illustration is what I'm doing. You have to believe that. This morning, uh, well, actually, yesterday and this week, we kept hearing that there would be ice, 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 ice. And so there's a winter weather advisory. And I'm very thankful for the weathermen. I really am. I'm not making fun of them. That they would send out this weather advisory and say, hey, be careful. Be on your guard. It, just, just watch. In the morning, there could be ice on the road. There could be ice on the trees. Maybe it's the moment you need to stay at home. I'm very thankful for that, right? So this morning, I woke up knowing that at 6.30... And I got dressed, I started the oven, because we have cinnamon rolls in the morning, and you have to warm up the oven before you stick the cinnamon rolls in. I don't know if you know that or not, but now you do. So I got in my car, and, and I drove around. Now, there wasn't ice on the trees, there, there wasn't ice on the roads, um, there wasn't ice really anywhere, right? But, but it was... It was Good roads, good trees, and I had been texting the elders of the church saying, hey, what's the temperature at your place? They were all giving me temperatures. Is there ice on the trees? Well, there was ice on somebody's car, but over here we were, we were good and all this kind of stuff. So made the decision, well, we won't cancel anything. We won't postpone anything. We'll just have church at 9.30 and 11 o'clock because my thought was by 11, we should be okay. When I left my house, the temperature was 34 degrees. 32 is when stuff freezes, right? So I was pretty, pretty confident that we'd be fine driving to church this morning and everybody be careful. The other side of this is I assume that all of you are adult enough to make your own decisions, right? So my responsibility is to see if I can open the church and your responsibility is to see whether you feel safe enough to come to church. All of us live in different areas. Some of us live in areas where we can't get out of our driveway if it was even the slightest bit of ice. I mean, you you know what I mean? So you're adult enough to make your own decision. I view that as freedom. You have the freedom, I have the freedom, that's what it is. But here's what I'm saying. I could have bought in yesterday to the winter weather, weather advisory, which was true, but created an alternate reality that it's really going to be bad on Sunday morning and we're just not going to have church and canceled it yesterday. Are you, are you tracking? But I'm very selective in the reality I choose. This is the information I have. I'm going to wake up in the morning and really see how the environment is and then we're going to make a decision that is a good decision, right, based on how reality is and not how maybe fear fear or concern could lead you or just adapting something just to say this is, this is what's going to happen. Um, last Sunday, I predicted that it was going to uh, snow on Thursday. I, I noticed that there was no schools that closed. Well, maybe there were, but not in my area because it didn't snow. Oh, come on. Come on. The point of this is that you and I need to be very selective with what we believe. And if we're not, we're going to be led into things and experience things that we really didn't have to experience if we would have just been selective 
believe truth and the way things are rather than the way people want us to think that things are. Now, in a reality situation, a selective reality, or truth is grounded, and this is a speaker, and this is a stage, and this is a room, you have to recognize that this is a false reality, this is a false reality, this is a false reality, and this is a false reality, and sometimes you have to interact with those false realities, and you have to do it in the best way possible. You have to live sometimes in those realities, because some of those realities are powerful enough to infiltrate your life, and you have to do something about them. Like, you have to figure out how to live in reality while either obeying this reality or whatever. Are you tracking? You, you have to do that. But it's all based on truth. Well, why in the world did you bring this up today? Well, this is why I brought this up today. You cannot help a situation between this person and this person and speak truth if you're not living in truth every day of your life. You cannot help create environments that heal and restore in other people's lives, if you're all the time living in different false realities, you can't help people if you're spinning these false living in these false realities out here. You can't help people. You have to help people from a position of truth. You have to select that and live in it, and then you can engage. And when you engage, you need to figure out what is important in the moment and what isn't. You need to figure out what's true and what should be said and what should not be said, and you live. It is crazy how peaceful a life is when all this stuff is spinning around you outside, all these things that we could worry about and all these things up here. It's amazing how peaceful your heart is when you've grounded it, not only in the Word of God, but in the redemption that he's causing to happen in your life. Hmm. It's just good stuff. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16 says this, these are the things that you should do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. Actually, that word oath there is word in, in the Hebrew. No false word. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. What does the Lord hate? He hates falsehood. He hates false words. He hates toxic environments. He, he hates things that are in turmoil that are upsetting, where people are not being truthful. But what he loves is when people speak the truth to one another and render in your gates judgment that, judgments that are true and make for peace. Sometimes when we reproach people with priests, actually all the time, when we approach people to tell them the truth, it needs to be with the mindset of, I want to help bring peace to this situation and not more adversity. I don't want to yell at these people and I want to look down at the person I'm about to talk to. I just want to help bring peace to their lives. And that environment can be redeemed. Wow. So why is it a sin not to speak truth when you know it? Because if you don't, you're creating toxic environments for the people around you that didn't need to be there. If you want justice on a global scale, start with justice with your own personal relationships and make sure that's happening before you criticize the other. Leviticus chapter 5, go there. We're going to wrap up with this. Leviticus chapter 5. Leviticus chapter 5, and we'll begin reading with verse 6, <clears throat> and this is what it says. He shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves 
and two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering and he shall wring its head from its neck but shall not sever it completely. By the way, that is very hard to do. I've never done it myself, but Aaron Sink walked up to me afterwards and said, that's very hard to do. And I trust Aaron Sink. He spoke truth into my life. Verse nine, and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on the sin offering on the side of the altar while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. So there's blood being sprinkled on the altar and then there's blood being poured out. And what exactly does that mean? You see, a sacrifice and a sin offering isn't because, just because you've sinned. Like, you don't just do this just because you've, you've sinned. That's not why you do it. You do it because something has to be done about that sin. That's why you do it. it it's not like I'm just acknowledging my sin and that's it. It's something has to be done to take care of the penalty of that sin. And so you bring this sacrifice in and you ask forgiveness. And so the first thing that gets forgiven really is inside of you. You get peace inside of you. You get forgiven of the sin of your heart. But the second thing that happens is there's, there's this blood that is splattered on the sides of this altar. And what does that mean? It means that that blood is purifying your environment. And if you read Leviticus long enough, and I'm gonna unpack this as we go through Leviticus, those, those things are about purifying your environment because it's not only your heart that needs redemption, it's your environment that needs to be holy and clean as well. So my home can be clean because I have Jesus inside of me and he can clean my home and make it holy. And so the blood is splattered as a picture of making that holy. You know, in chapter four, when the priests do something wrong, they make the sacrifice on this side of the altar. And behind them is the holy place. And after they make their sacrifice, they take that blood inside the most holy place to sanctify it again because their sin has corrupted the most holy place. So, so they come in with this blood and put blood everywhere because it's a token that says, because of my sin, I have stunk up an environment like a carcass or human waste. I've created something that stinks and is horrible before the Lord by God. And this space right here has to be holy. And so here's how you make it holy. And symbolically, that blood is placed all in there. And the scripture says it purifies that space. So the priest purifies the space out here. And when the normal person comes and it's on the altar, they're purifying the space that they live in and they're making things right. What's not here in this verse is this portion of scripture that says, um, to make this totally right, you bring your sacrifice, but then you, you go, right? And you say, look, in your particular situation when you stood before the judge, I did not speak the truth and I need to make that right. And you take that person to the judge and you tell them your portion of the truth and you make this correct. You make this holy. You bring this to justice. And then you go to your offering and you do your offering. So the two-parter. So you're making that environment right with justice and you're making your heart and your relationship with God right with justice. Because it has to be both. You have to be right before God, your father, and yourself, and right before other people. So it's a picture of that. So why do you speak the truth? Because God wants you to have environments that are holy and just and righteous. He does not want you to live in an environment that is toxic. 
Isn't that awesome? It's all about what you say. Amazing. Amazing. Well, that's it. It's just it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stage you've given us. We thank you for um, this encouragement to speak truth. There are some times that it's very difficult to get there for whatever reason. There are pressures, worries, um, fears of losing relationships, whatever it might be not wanting to create a tense situation between us and someone else. But Father, it's so important to speak the truth. It's so important to live in your reality, the reality of what's true and not get led into something else. So Father, I pray that each one of us in here will be very selective with what we believe. Be selective with the reality that we live in. And I pray, Father, that we'll be very selective with what we share with people. If we know something to be true and we've confirmed it, we will share it so that you can redeem that environment and further harm will not occur. So help us have the courage to do that. Help us to be a people that are not only concerned about the redemption that is going on inside of us, but we're also, redempt, we're also concerned with the responsibility to see redemption outside of us, in our homes, at our workplaces, wherever we go with our families, that we want truth to reign and redemption to happen. Help us be a people that heal toxic environments and make them environments of peace. So we ask all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a verse or two of this song. I'm here for you today if you need me to pray with you. And the altar is also open as we sing.